Bible, that's okay. I'm going to have it up on the screen. So I'm going to have it on the message, in the message version, because I really liked the way it read last night when I was reading it through. So feel free to follow through. This is one of my favorite um, chapters in the Bible, um, because I love, I love following great men and women of God who did great, crazy things for God, that took him at his word, and in a sense, jumped off that cliff edge and just went for it. I love reading about that. I wish Abraham had a Twitter account. I wish Joshua had Facebook, that I could have just known the step-by-step, play-by-play moments of what great men and great women of God think about and wrestle with, because I love learning from these greats. And um, this is one of those chapters for me. This is Elijah in one of the mighty showdowns where he does something crazy to prove that God is real. And I want to read it for us this morning. So 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to start at verse 20, and I'm, I'm going to skip a few verses if you're following in your Bibles. So Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets, to Mount Carmel. Elijah challenged the people, how long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. Nobody said a word and nobody made a move. Then Elijah said, I'm the only prophet of God left in Israel, and there are 450 prophets of Baal. Let the Baal prophets bring up two oxen, let them pick one, butcher it, and lay it out on the altar on firewood, but don't ignite it. I'll take the other ox, cut it up, and lay it on the wood, but neither will I light the fire. Then you pray to your gods, and I'll pray to God. The God who answers with fire will prove to be, in fact, God. All the people agreed, a good plan, do it. Elijah told the Baal prophets, choose your ox and prepare it. You go first, you're the majority. Then pray to your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the ox he had given them, prepared it for the altar, then prayed. They prayed all morning long, oh Baal, answer us. But nothing happened, not so much as a whisper of breeze. Desperate, they jumped and stomped on the altar they had made. I'm going to skip down to 30. Then Elijah told the people, enough of that, it's my turn, gather around, and they gathered. He then put the altar back together, for by now it was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Jacob, the same Jacob to whom God had said, from now on your name is Israel. He built the stones into the altar in honor of God, and then Elijah dug a fairly wide trench around the altar. He laid firewood on the altar, cut up the ox, put on the wood, and said, fill four buckets with water and drench both the ox and the firewood. Then he said, do it again, and they did it. Then he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. The altar was drenched, and the trench was filled with water. When it was time for the sacrifice to be offered, Elijah the prophet came up and prayed, O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you're a God in Israel, that I am your servant, that I am doing what I'm doing under your orders. Answer me, God. Oh, answer me and reveal this to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you're giving these people another chance at repentance. Immediately the fire of God fell and burned up the offering, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. All the people saw it happen and fell on their faces in awed worship, exclaiming, God is the true God. God is the true God. I love those verses. I love that passage. And uh, that's probably a familiar passage to many of us. And there's been so many things that have been 
um, pulled out of that passage. I'm sure you've heard that passage preached on before. But there's three things that stick out to me when I read that that I want to bring our attention to this morning and focus in on. Number one, that Elijah stands confidently before a nation and its leaders to pray. Just uh, for the sake of context, this is a nation and a leader who actually hates Elijah. They actually wanted to do away with him. They wanted to kill him because Elijah was a thorn in their side. He was a messenger of the, of, from God who reminded them of what God really wanted out of their lives. How they should live, how they should um, respond to God, how they should worship. And instead, they'd forsaken God and gone their own way. And how many of you know that when you're going your own way and God tries to bring you back, that you often put your hand up or you get hostile? And so Elijah stands confidently in front of a nation that wants to kill him. That's a pretty bold move. The second thing that sticks out to me is that he prays one prayer. He praises one prayer, God, come and do it, move in power, show yourself to these people. And the third thing that sticks out to me is that immediately the fire of the Lord comes down and consumes the altar. Immediately there's this thunderous fire that shoots down and God responds to Elijah's prayer immediately. I love that, it's inspiring. I don't know about you, but it gets me pumped up. In fact, I don't know if you've ever read this in the Gospels. At one point, Jesus and the disciples are going one way, and uh, they want to go through Samaria, and the Samaritans say, no, we don't want nothing to do with you. And the disciples, who are pumped up by the story, say, hey, let's call down fire and burn them up. I don't know if you've ever felt like that when you're driving. <laughs> but it's an inspiring story, you know? You're just like, God, I'm going to pray for fire more often. The next part of the story is not so flashy. Here's, what's ha here what ha here's what happens in a bit of a synopsis for you. Elijah turns to Ahab the king. And he says, King Ahab, you know there's been no rain for three years because God dried up the rain. Now it's time for him to prove to you that he's God. Go get ready because rain's coming. Then Elijah climbs up Mount Carmel, right up into the hiddenness of the mountain. He takes only his servant with him. He goes, and I imagine him cowering in a cave or in a, a little bit of a kind of a safe, hidden area, places his face to the ground, and the ground is probably dry and cracked and dusty, and he begins to pray. And I, I bet his prayer sounded something like this. God, we rocked. That was awesome. We did it. That was, you did it, I prayed it, so teamwork, there's no I, I in team, God, like we did that. That fire thing, that was pretty terrifying. I knew it was coming and I was still scared. That was awesome. Let's do it again. But this time, God, we're going to do the rain thing. But let, you, you know, you, you did the fire thing, let's do the flood thing. Bring the rain, just flood them. Let's flood them. Let's really put on a show. He prays and he sends his servant to run to the edge of the mountain and look out across the Mediterranean to see. He runs across and he scampers back to Elijah and he says these very powerful words. I didn't see anything. Now, imagine for a second how Elijah must have felt. I want you to just put yourself in Elijah's shoes. You've just witnessed fire 
by praying this powerful prayer in front of a nation and its leaders. And now you're up on a mountain, you prayed for rain, and nothing happened. So the second time, he's probably like, huh, well, that didn't work. Let's give that another go. I'm going to pray with a little more passion this time. Maybe remind God of what he said, that he's going to bring the rain. So God, you said you're going to do this rain thing, so bring the rain. Sends his servant off, servant scampers back and says these very powerful words. Lige, I didn't see anything. Imagine how you would feel at this point as Elijah. Okay, God, that didn't work. You know, maybe I'm going to just quote some scripture now. You know, remind you, God, of who you are and sing a Michael W. Smith song. Let it rain, let it rain. Sends his servant off, his servant runs off, comes back. I didn't see anything. You know, I don't think I have to ask you if you can imagine how that feels if you've been following Jesus for any length of time. Because there comes a time in each one of our lives where we're in the place of prayer and it looks like nothing is happening. And I'm imagining Elijah after the third time and after the fourth time is probably feeling a little anxious, maybe a little let down by God at this point. Who knows if he felt frustrated? Starting to wonder if he heard right. Did I hear right, God? You said, go tell Ahab it's going to rain. Remember, Ahab's down at the bottom of the mountain waiting for the rain to come. And then finally, the seventh time, Elijah prays. The servant runs. He goes and he scampers back and he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Here's the crazy thing about this story. We get two completely different pictures. On the one hand, you have Elijah standing confidently before a nation and its leaders, praying one prayer and seeing an immediate response of fire. And in the second picture, immediately after you see Elijah climb up into the hiddenness where no one could see him. No one probably even knew what he was doing except for Ahab. Face down on the dry ground, crying out to God, not once, not twice, but seven times for rain before he sees, not a flood. You see, if I was Elijah, I would imagine being on the ground on my knees, and all of a sudden I begin to feel the pitter-patter of rain around me. That's what I would imagine if I was Elijah. But instead, the servant goes and says, no, I see, I see a cloud. In other words, I see the beginning of the answer. I, see the I don't even see the fulfillment of it yet. And yet, that's enough for Elijah. He stands up and he shouts to his servant, go run down the mountain and tell Ahab to get home as quick as he can because a rainstorm is coming. How come sometimes in life we pray for fire and God responds and moves in power immediately and other times we find ourselves in a season of prayer where we don't pray once, not twice, not three times, but we have to pray and pray. Who knows how long Elijah was praying for? Because what's really, what, what constitutes one prayer, right? I find it interesting that Elijah took his servant up. You know, it conjures this image Elijah didn't pray, then get up and go look. But I imagine that Elijah, as he's praying, he sends his servant and he keeps praying. 
But as he's praying, the report keeps coming back to him contrary to what he's praying. And he keeps praying and the report comes back to him and it's contrary to what he's asking for. How many of you have been there? As I was preparing this message, I felt like God wanted to speak to us this morning on how to persevere in prayer when it seems like nothing is happening. I just want to encourage your heart this morning. I just want to speak faith. I want to speak truth. And I just want to encourage us to persevere. And what I'd like you to do is you engage your heart with me in this. Is I want you to think right now for a second. What is the thing or the things that you're engaged in prayer for that it seems like nothing has happened or nothing has changed yet? I would imagine if, you do, if, you're, if you're in one of those seasons that you can quickly call something to mind. Or maybe, let me ask you this, is there something that you prayed for once but stopped praying for because nothing happened? Maybe you were praying for a loved one to come to Jesus and nothing seemed to change. Maybe you were praying for financial breakthrough or for breakthrough in an area of sin in your life, but nothing seemed to change. Maybe you were praying for God to make the Bible come alive to you in exciting ways and it just, it just seemed like work all the time. Maybe you prayed for healing in your body, but the reports kept on coming back and now it's just something that you deal with. Maybe you prayed for somebody else for healing and nothing happened. What do we do? How, how do we persevere in prayer when it seems like the report's coming back and nothing's changing? And I feel like God wants to speak to this this morning, and he wants to encourage us in perseverance, because I believe the implications of how we respond to nothing happening are pretty huge. You see, I feel like when I'm in a place of prayer and I don't see things happening, fairly quickly I conclude that prayer doesn't seem to be working, and so I just stop. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your own life, but one of the implications of how we respond to nothing happening is that we just conclude prayer doesn't work. And that's a pretty huge conclusion to make because I believe, church, that God wants us to be people of prayer because God releases his kingdom through prayer. I don't understand it. I don't know why God chose to do it this way because God is sovereign, God is all-powerful, but he has left us this mandate. Jesus taught on prayer. He said, I want you to pray like this. I want you to release my kingdom through prayer. I want you to ask for things in my name. Yes, things are bad. Yes, things are broken. Yes, things are not as they should be this side of eternity. But release my kingdom through the place of prayer. And I just know that the enemy, the devil, wants to take prayer out of our weaponry. I just know he wants to do that. And so when it comes to perseverance, we can get there. We can get to the point of saying prayer doesn't work. Another implication is that we can just think, God doesn't care. God doesn't listen. And I want to be really sensitive here because I, I know I've been here at times. And maybe you're here this morning and you've prayed for things. And either the answer wasn't what you expected or there didn't seem to be an answer. And you just feel like you've just let your relationship with God kind of grow a little bit distant. And that can happen. 
And I believe God this morning wants to encourage and speak into this reality that we need to persevere in the place of prayer even when it seems like nothing is happening. Because sometimes, folks, you're closer than you think to breakthrough. What if Elijah had stopped praying on six? What if he'd stopped praying on five or four or three? I know God is sovereign. I know God could have raised up another Elijah. I know that God could have done it without Elijah. But you remember that song that we sing? There is a Redeemer. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. I don't understand it, folks. But we are meant to be a praying church that prays the kingdom of God into reality here upon the earth. That we don't just settle with things the way they've always been. You know, someone might say, things have always been this way. That's okay, but that's man's way. God's way is always different. You know, just the other day, we found out that our neighbor was, was struggling with cancer, and we were so cut up by this because we've gotten to know this neighbor, and we asked if we could go visit her at the hospital because we wanted to pray for her. We went to go pray for her, and we're praying for her, and we felt like we began to see a miracle take place because within a couple of days, things start to turn around, and she was able to come home, but the battle's not over, and we're just going to keep praying. Sometimes, God doesn't answer the way we think he should. But that sometimes affects us from praying. And we stop praying for things because we just conclude that things will just always be this way. And I want to encourage us with three truths this morning. Three truths to persevere in prayer. Three truths to keep asking, to keep praying. And truth number one is this. Perseverance is not your enemy. How many of you, when you go on a trip, take out your handy GPS or your phone and pl plug in the coordinates, typically two or three routes are going to come up. How many of you look at the routes and say, huh, that one's 100 kilometers longer. Let's go that way. Right? No one does that because every one of us has a natural inclination to go from A to B the quickest way possible. We want to get there as quick as possible. And so perseverance sometimes comes across as our enemy because we don't want to take a long time on this. Well, how many of you know that with God, he doesn't always choose the quickest way? Sometimes the longest, most difficult way is actually the route that God chose for us. Again, I don't understand this, but in God's wisdom and in his love for us, his goal for our lives is fruitfulness, not comfort. And so he wants to take us sometimes on a route that we wouldn't naturally choose. And so naturally, perseverance seems like our enemy. So much so that when we come up against a roadblock, say, for example, you're praying and you're praying, you're praying for direction in your life, but you don't seem to get an answer from God, you naturally conclude well, God doesn't care. Or, I wasn't meant to ask for direction, I'll just pick what I want to do. Or, God doesn't listen, God, God's rejected me. Sometimes we perceive a roadblock as a rejection instead of realizing, no, God wants us to push through. 
Because unlike our perspective of perseverance, perseverance is for our good sometimes. And that seems a little bit odd to our thinking. I remember uh, listening to a pastor give advice to someone who had been wronged. This person came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I've been wronged. It's, it's, it's been very hurtful. It's been very humiliating. I want to bring it to light publicly so this person, there can be justice. And this, this person, you know, can receive justice. The pastor listened and said sympathetically, yeah, you could do that. Or you could choose not to waste a good trial. Come again? You could choose not to waste a good trial? That is so counterintuitive to us. What the pastor was saying was, why don't you let Jesus produce in you the sort of maturity and character and humility and trust that can only be produced in this kind of an experience. Don't waste this good trial to let God do something good in you. And so sometimes when we come up against something that's going to require perseverance, we see it as an enemy instead of realizing, God, this is an opportunity for me to stretch and grow. You see, in the Bible, you'd be hard-pressed, and in history, you'd be hard-pressed to find any man or woman of God that was called to great acts of faith that didn't require great perseverance. You look at Abraham, you look at Joseph, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who was called to do great things for God that required great faith that did not require great perseverance to see it through. You see, faith and perseverance is one of the great marriages of Scripture, of the spiritual life. James chapter 1 says this, we've read it many times, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is it. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. I have resisted so many things in my life because I wasn't willing to go through the persevering But God is so much in love with us that he says, listen, Benj, listen, my son, my daughter, let me produce in you something that I couldn't produce in you in a season where everything is just easy. See, sometimes you're going to pray for fire and the fire is going to fall. Sometimes you're going to pray and there's going to be immediate answers. But there's going to be times where you're going to pray and you're not going to see anything. But don't lose heart. Press in. Push through persevere. The analogy I have is of a runner. You know, runners typically have huge legs, muscular legs. (laughs) And, um, you know, they've got good core, they've got good stamina, they're good runners. But if you imagine you were to take a good runner and, and put them into, you know, the CFL, they'd have to work on the upper body strength. And you imagine the work that it would take. You know, they're an athlete. They're strong before they go to the gym. But now they're working on different muscles because because they need to be more holistically and more well-rounded and more complete in their muscular ability and their strength. And I think of that for myself, I think of that for us as a church, that sometimes God's going to give you faith to move a mountain, so you pray, the mountain moves, you exercise your faith, and God shows up in miraculous ways. Other times, you're going to pray and the mountain's not going to move. And God's going to take you into the heart of the mountain, right into the heart of the mountain, 
where the weight and the pressure and the strain on your faith is like nothing you've experienced before, and you feel like, I don't know if I've got faith for this anymore. And God breaks your faith, and it's not the sort of breaking to render you useless. It's, it's God's way of stretching, just like when we bench press or we work out. God's um, tearing muscles in order to build muscles. So that the next time you stand in front of a mountain, you not only have faith to move it, but now God has developed through seasons of your life the sort of faith that if he leads you into a season of perseverance, you have the faith to stand even then. Do you understand what I'm saying? God wants to develop our faith so that we're not just one-dimensional. God wants us to be people of prayer that believe in the miraculous, but also people of prayer that can withstand heat and pressure and strain. And so church, I just want to encourage you this morning. Perseverance is not our enemy. Newsflash, the enemy is your enemy. The enemy would, would, would so happily, the devil would so happily lie and rob you of perspective because if he can get you focused on God lying to you, God's not answering you, he doesn't, he doesn't care about you, God, God's not going to give you breakthrough. If he can get you focused on that, he knows he's got you swinging in the air. You see, when we don't know who our enemy is, we don't know how to fight. And so he'll happily confuse us. And I really believe that in a season of perseverance in prayer, the thing we need the most is truth. You know, for a while I wondered, when you read Ephesians 6, and it talks about the belt of truth, I thought, man, that's not very cool. You got the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the belt of truth. Like, what am I going to do, take it off and whip people with it? Like, what is that? Does it have a good, hefty, godly buckle on the end? I really hope. You can edit that in the recording. <laughs> but then I realized, I read up on it a little bit, and I realized, what does a belt do? It keeps your pants up and your shirt tucked in. That's what a belt does. Think of it from a soldier's perspective, because we're talking armor. Truth as a belt a belt is what holds all of those layers of armor and protection and security in one place so that it doesn't all fall off you and expose you to the darts and the arrows from the enemy. The belt of truth is your greatest strength in times when God brings a lie into your ear or your own voice whispers lies into your ear. God doesn't care. God doesn't answer prayer. There's no point persevering. There's no point. It's not worth it. God doesn't actually make miracles happen. The belt of truth is a belt because truth keeps you firm in the reality of who God is, what he's like, and who he's called you to be, and what he has said to you. I just encourage you this morning, what has God said to you, and have you grown weary in persevering because you've wondered if you heard rightly? Keep on pressing in. The second truth, shameless persistence always gets an answer. You know, we, I said, shared earlier, John and Ange and, and Bree and I took the kids up to the North Bruce Peninsula, and on our last day, we stayed the whole day at, at, at Sobble Beach and uh, had a blast. We had ice cream with the kids. We played, built sandcastles. We um, swam. Um, wasn't as cold. And um, 
we did supper together. We tried um, beaver tails. I'd never had a beaver tail before. Um, I figured now I'm a Canadian citizen. I've got to get on this stuff to make it legitimate. My daughter, Eliana, was, was equally stunned by eating beaver tails. I told her, "Hon, you're Canadian. This is what you do. This is what you guys do. Eat it up. Put some Reese's Pieces on it. It's all good. So we got beaver tails. Um, it was great. We're driving home. As we're driving out of uh, Wyerton, we saw a fair. Now my kids immediately, like, beep, 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 radar. Fair! Fair! <laughs> Dad, please, can we go to the fair? Please, can we go to the fair? Please, can we go to the fair? I look at Bree. Bree looks at me. We've got a three-hour drive back to Woodstock. Uh, guys, we can't go to the fair. We've got to get home tonight. But dad, please, can we go to the fair, please? <laughs> Girls, and in my heart, I'm thinking, of, of course I want to go to the fair. I mean, aside from the fact they cost like $300 <laughs> for two rides, like, I would love to give them anything. It's the same thing as if we go to the grocery store and, and the girls point at stuff. Brie always gets me in trouble because I, I pull up with my cart and it's got like a bunch of stuff the kids just picked. Because I want to give them stuff. I'm like, no, girls, we can't go to the fair. And then they pull this one out. But, Dad, we never get to go to the fair. We never. And I look at Bree, and Bree's like, I'm just joking. I made you out to be the bad guy. That's. And so I just know that they were going to keep nagging. And I knew the next day, no matter what, they're going to nag for more stuff. Do you know why? Kids being kids know they can keep asking. And I want you to catch this. They know they can keep asking because they know their father's heart is turned towards them. There is such a security in love. They so know that their dad and their mom's heart is turned towards them. That my kids are going to keep asking and keep asking. Long after they're married probably. And I can't believe I said that out loud. But long after they're married, they will probably keep asking because I am their dad. Wow. Do you feel the father's heart for you this morning? Do you feel how much he loves you? We are so much like that. If we know that God's heart, our Father's heart is towards us, then we're going to keep asking. It might not be the answer we expect. It might not be the way we expected. It might not be when we expected. But we're going to keep asking because the Father's heart, His every inclination, His every desire is to bless you, to work for your good, to prosper you, not to cause you harm. And wow, you just, you just sense that that's God's heart for you. The opposite's also true, by the way. I grew up with some friends who had really bad famil uh, family uh, situations, and you knew they didn't expect anything from their parents because they knew that there wasn't, they couldn't guarantee that their parents or their mom or their dad's heart was towards them. So they didn't ask for stuff. I remember growing up with friends like that. You don't ask if you don't expect. And I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus teaches not only how to pray, but he then goes on to share not one, but two, not three, but several analogies about how God is like a father. And that if nothing else, shameless persistence always gets an answer because his every inclination is towards you. 
I want to encourage you this morning, if you're in a season of perseverance, keep asking until you get an answer. Hear me right there. Because it might not be, you might be praying for fire, or you might be praying for rain, whatever it is you're praying for in your life. He might not give you the thing that you asked for. But here's the thing about God. God's all about conversation. Too often we shut down the conversation on our end because we think he's not listening and he doesn't care. I've been recently struggling with health issues and there was a point in that struggle where I just, I kind of stopped asking for anything from God because I wasn't seeing anything change. I'm telling you, man, this is seasons. We go through seasons. And then one day I was driving to the airport and I was just praying to God. I said, God, what's going on? And like that, God just began to show me some stuff. And all of a sudden he gave me a confidence that it was okay to keep asking in the way that I was asking. You know, you might be in a season of persevering in prayer. You haven't seen the answer yet. But keep asking because God might give you another way to pray. He might show you that he's actually maturing you in a certain area. He might actually show you that there's resistance in your life. Many of you know Bree and I's journey towards a certain place. And you know the twists and turns we've had along that journey. I can assure you I have never experienced so much resistance in the last year as I, I mean, crazy stuff. And I was, I didn't even know what I was praying. And then one day I just said, God, how should I pray? How should I pray? And God showed me that actually there was a bunch of things I needed to pray through. Sometimes we're praying and we don't realize that God just wants to have a conversation. So I just encourage you this morning, keep asking. Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. It's meant to be this ongoing conversation. Ongoing. Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray continually. Pray. It's just, this, it's just a talk. God. There'll be times, this is going to sound weird to you. There's times I go to the grocery store. I know we need this one thing. And I pray, God, I pray it'll be on the shelf. And I pray it's on sale. Come on. <laughs> Do you know why? Because I expect... Okay, if I don't get it, I'm not going to be offended because here's the key. When you're in a season of prayer or whenever you're praying, we need to realize that we can ask for stuff, but don't be offended if you don't get it. But don't let it stop you from keep asking. <laughs> One more funny story. I'm on a trail here. We were at the restaurant with the six kids under five. Crazy, you know, try and manage six drinks on a table with six kids. Like, that's like playing chess with children. It's insane. Trying not to spill the drinks. They're starving. They're grumpy. I just said, God, I pray food would be here in one minute. I'm not lying. John timed it. How long was it? It was like 60 seconds. Which, for those of you who don't know, that's a minute. <laughs> like, that was quick. Like, sure, you say that's just coincidence. You know what? I believe God answers prayer. Even the stuff you don't think he cares about, he actually cares about. Because when you start praying for stuff in your life, when you're driving to the grocery store and you say, God, I'm having a rough patch with my kid. I pray you'd smooth out the stuff that's going on there. God, um, 
they're not sleeping through the night. Jesus, I pray you'd give them peace tonight. When they sleep through the night, you wake up in the morning and you say, wow, God answered my prayer. You know what happens if you never prayed that? Maybe the kids sleep through the night. Maybe they don't sleep through the night. But you don't have any traction in your prayer life. You have no confidence in God's ability to answer your prayers. Do you realize that the more you pray in your personal life, the more that you press for breakthrough, the more that you go after him and ask and ask and seek and knock, the more you'll see results. The more you see results, the more church you're able to step out and begin to pray for your friends and pray for your neighbors and actually have an expectation and a confidence that God's going to show up. Right? I mean, I get pumped up about this because I've been on all sides of this. I've been so shy to pray for people. I mean, I do the classic thing. Someone says, well, I've been having, you know, I've been having a rough, I've lost my job, and, and I've had, you know, and I've been sick for three weeks, and, and oh, that's tough, brother. Well, persevere in that. And, yeah. Off you go. I'll pray for you, man. I'll pray for you. How many of us actually pray when we say we're going to pray for someone? You know, like... There's not a judgment call. This is, this is like, this is something that burns on my heart because God has been challenging me. Pray for every person right there on the spot that you say you're going to pray for. <laughs> because, because you're giving God a chance to show up. Prayer is an invitation. God, come and move. We just can't be offended when he doesn't answer. God's reputation is his responsibility. Our responsibility is obedience to pray in every circumstance. I was meant to read this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Praise your attitude in the season of perseverance. Speaking life. Not complaining. That's so key. Then you'll experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Truth number three. This is my last point this morning. God's ways are higher. When we're persevering in prayer and we're not seeing anything happening, we have to remind ourselves. God's methods and God's ways seem really strange to us most of the time. He doesn't do things the way we think he should. His, his equations, his mathematics don't make sense. You know... When he sends an army of 200 against a giant army, I mean, why would God do that? When God uses five loaves and is it two fishes? Fish? You know what? That makes no, like, how does he multiply that? Look at Naaman. Naaman is this guy who comes to Elisha, the successor of Elijah, and he says, I've heard your God can heal. Elijah says, go to the river and wash seven times, and on the seventh time you'll be healed. Why? <laughs> why? Have you ever caught yourself asking God why he chooses to go about something the way that he does? The key in a season of perseverance is this. Don't live by what you see because your progress cannot be measured by what you see sometimes. It's like Jericho when they're marching around the walls. I mean, prayer feels like marching sometimes. You're just marching and you're looking at the thing you're praying for and nothing seems to be happening. But I want to encourage you, God's ways are not only higher than our ways, but God always accomplishes what he sets out to do. And some of us, I believe, I want to encourage you with this one last thing this, this morning. Some of us are closer than we think to breakthrough, and you need to realize that you cannot stop short. Don't quit. Keep persevering. 
You know, it would be nice if as they marched around the city of Jericho, they saw something on, after the first day and after the second day. But sometimes you just have to keep going. How long, you ask? The psalmist David has many psalms where he cries out, God, how long? My encouragement to you is that when you feel completely out of control, when you have no control over the outcome, persevere in prayer because you might be closer than you think to the moment of breakthrough in your life. I want to share with you one story as the worship team comes up. A while ago, it was probably four or five years, it was my first year, I think, actually at IPC, and uh, we were leading, it was when Daryl used to play the drums. Daryl now runs sound for us. And Daryl came to practice one Thursday night and he was struggling with his back. He was, at, he was in significant pain, we could see, as he was playing. And um, I said to Daryl, Daryl, can we pray for you? So we brought Daryl out and we prayed for him. God, would you pre please heal Daryl so that he can practice and that he can, he can have relief tonight as he plays. And, and as he played, I could see he was still in pain. So at the end of the practice, I said, Daryl, can we pray with you again? He said, of course. So we prayed, God, between Thursday and Sunday, God, we pray that you'd work a miracle in, in Daryl's life, heal his back. So Sunday comes around, we show up, we had two services, it was 7.30, we got here, we started to play, and I could tell again, Daryl's just not feeling good. So I said, okay, guys, let's pray for Daryl again. You could tell at this point, we're kind of getting to that point of, okay, we prayed, God's going to do his thing, let's just let God do his thing. But God was teaching me some stuff, and I just sensed the need to keep, keep, keep asking. And I knew Daryl, we had a relationship, so it was okay. And so I, we prayed again, nothing. After the first service, we prayed again, nothing. After the second service, I said, Daryl, one more time. I remember vividly getting the worship team up backstage. Let's just pray one last time as we're here together. God, we pray for healing, complete restoration of Daryl's back. Daryl went away, and I got an email later that afternoon, and it says this. Hi, Benj. Thanks so much for your prayers for my back. Most of all, praying as many times as you did. I always feel uncomfortable being prayed for when there are so many other people with bigger needs than I. Now for the glory of, to God part. After getting home from church, I felt something feel different when, when I got home until I realized no pain. Not at all. I can sit down, bend down. I've gained complete mobility back. The power of prayer is so amazing. The power of God even more. So I quickly sent that off to the team to encourage them. I said, team, look. We pressed in, we persevered, and God broke through. Praise to God. I don't understand why he didn't do it the first time. Maybe God was teaching us stuff about perseverance. Maybe he was building us as a team. Maybe he was doing something for Daryl because Daryl felt the love of a team that would bring him to God time and time again. We're just going to go to God, Daryl. Let's do it. I don't understand why God Way, works the way he does, but I know this, God wants to move in power in response to our prayers. So this morning, the team are going to play a song, and I want you to just sit and listen to the words. I want you to take this time, I'm not going to pray for you or over you or anything like that, I just, I want you to spend time just with God and let the Holy Spirit call forth the things that you need to bring to God, maybe the things that you've stopped asking for. Or maybe it's one more time. You're praying that seventh time. Maybe you've been praying for years. And God just wants to come this morning. Maybe, maybe 
you just need to, you're just around the bend. Maybe God's going to show you what he's doing in this season. Or maybe he's going to show you a different prayer, a different way to ask. But I promise you, the most invaluable gift in a season of perseverance is the internal peace of Jesus. That you know he's on the throne and everything's okay. That his heart is fully turned towards you. So listen to these words this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you.